riverreporter.com. And from listener donations at wjffradio.org. Welcome to the local edition, news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dolt. And uh, coming up, I'm about to hand things off to Bill Williams because uh, this is the first Tuesday of the month. And the first Tuesday of every month here on the local edition, it's time for the Kingfisher Project, information against addiction and opioids. So stay tuned. Coming up, Bill Williams and this month's guest. Welcome to the Kingfisher Project, information and awareness about the heroin and opiate epidemic. I'm Julie Pazal. The Kingfisher Project began in memory of my daughter, Rebecca Jean Pazal, who was shot and killed due to her heroin addiction. At her memorial service, her former teacher, Mr. Okazalik, read an essay she wrote. It was about a bird, an injured kingfisher bird that she found and rescued when everyone else had given up on the bird. In that spirit, our community came together and formed the Kingfisher Project. Since 2014, we have been raising awareness about the drug and opiate crisis in our listening area and around the country, right here on Radio Catskill. Here is Bill Williams. Thanks, Julie. My guest this evening is Eve Goldberg, founder of Big Vision. Eve and I were introduced by Rachel Russell of the Freedom Institute uh, because we share a same sad story. We each lost our son to addiction. Um, but Eve is one of those magnificent people who has done something in her son Isaac's name, and I'd like her to tell us about it because she's a really remarkable person. So, Eve, let's let's go back from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about Isaac and what drove you to start Big Vision. Okay. First of all, I want to thank you, Bill, for inviting me here today uh, to speak to you. Like I said to you, um, I will. I'm happy to speak to you anytime. Uh, we have a, a very um, a very strong bond because we have such similar stories. Not only did our sons both pass away from overdoses, it was about the same time of year, one year apart, and they had pretty much the same story. So Isaac, who it's going to be nine years in January since he passed away, was a beautiful young man. And he just, you know, he was a great basketball player. He was funny. He had a lot of friends. He had kind of, you know, good looking and tall, like everything going for him from the outside. But from when he was little, he always struggled with self-image. So he never really, he never really loved himself. He had learning issues and he had to go to what he called a special or dumb school. You know, he went to a school with kids with learning differences, but, you know, he had to be taken out of his normal, quote-unquote, normal school and go to this school. And he kind of never recovered from that, I have to say. Uh, you know, in, inside, he just never really felt good about himself. And when he was in high school, he, he came to me the first time he ever tried smoking pot. And I remember he came to me and he said, Mom... He said he told me everything. I was a single mom bringing him up and he told me everything, like sometimes too much. But it was it was a good, healthy relationship. And he said, um, I smoked pot today for the first time and I hated the way it made me feel. Uh, I was on my friend's you know, balcony and I thought I was going to jump off. I felt paranoid and I'm never going to do it again. 
And I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, I'm so happy. I'm so lucky. Like, I'm good. I don't have to worry about this kid. And, you know, a couple of years later, he started, you know, he was on the basketball team. And you would think that everybody who's on the basketball team, they're living healthy lives. And, you know, they were all getting high, these kids. And he started getting high. And and it just led him down down a path where, you know, he also had learning issues. So they put him on different medications and he was OCD. And so went to a psychopharmacologist who at a young age put him on meds, which by the way, I'm sure, I don't know how you feel about this bill, but annoys me to no end. He would sit with a psychopharmacologist for 15 minutes maximum. And the guy, he would walk out with a prescription. I was like, this guy doesn't know him. Like, how would he give him that? Anyway, Little, all these things kind of added up. And when he we, we went to college, it was just, he joined a fraternity and it was just, everything was just downhill from there. You know, he started using and he was, you know, taking pills. He was smoking. I, I don't know what else he was doing then. Came home, went to outpatient. You know, it started, this cycle began when he really went to college. And then he overdosed for the first time when he was, it was his first year of college, I believe. And we were, all, again, very lucky that someone found him and um, said it was the first time he had done that and um, ended up in the hospital. His organs were all shutting down. I remember taking all of these pictures of him to show him afterwards, you know, and he kept saying, I'll never do this again. Because I said, Isaac, look at this. Do you want to, like, do you want this to happen? I took pictures of him. You know, when he was not even awake and, and he just looked, you know, horrible and, and he was in really bad shape. He was in the hospital for a week, went to inpatient treatment, um, checked himself out of the first one, went to another one. I mean, it was just it was a nightmare. And he finally seemed to be, you know, went back to school, then came home then went to another outpatient. You know, it was a whole cycle, which, you know, anybody like who dealt with this as a child struggling We'll, not, we'll understand that. I mean, sometimes it's not such a cycle and they can go to treatment once and they're fine, but it's pretty rare that that happens. They have to really be ready for it. And then Isaac went to treatment. He, he relapsed and a friend of his drove, drove him to treatment, ended up living in um, a uh, sober living and then finally moved back home with us for a short period of time, got a job, never looked better. Life was seemed so good for him. He seemed on such a great path. He was supposed to move into his own apartment. And then, like he said to me, he said, I'm never going to do drugs again, mom, because I know how fast I will go down that to that dark place. And I never want to go there again. And that's exactly what happened. He started using and you can't when you go back to using after, you know, after getting clean after, you know, treatment. You go back to using the quantities that you were using before because that's the only thing that's going to get you high and your body is just not used to it and it's deadly. And um, he just went down that that dark path very, very quickly and overdosed and um, ended up, I believe, built just like William in the hospital for six weeks. And then we had to take him off life support. And... So that's that's the 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 you know his story and what when I you know we're we're traditional Jews and when we um, when he passes when someone passes away we sit down for seven days of shiva a seven day mourning period 
I mean, there's a much longer mourning period, but seven days of Shiva where people just come and visit. And I always thought it was Shiva. I never understood it. But when I was bidding Shiva for Isaac, I understood the beauty and the brilliance behind it because you have seven days of warmth, loving, people coming and visiting, giving you a time to just talk about. I talked about Isaac to everybody and, you know, not just the horror story, but the good things about him. And and just everybody came to comfort me for those seven days. And everybody, and I said, I'm going to do something to make meaning out of his life. And every person there who said to me, I'm there for you, I'm going to help you. When I went to sleep at night, I took a big legal pad and I wrote everybody's name on it. And I said, one day I'm going to do something. And then I woke up a year later. I mean, I didn't sleep for a year, but I woke up one day a year later. And I kind of slept. That first year, I'm sure, Bill, you can relate. It's kind of like you're kind of asleep because you don't really know what you're doing. It's very hard to function. And I woke up and I said to my husband, I know what I want to do. I have my big idea. And I was already in a for-profit business my whole life. And he's like, what do you mean? And I said, I know what I want to do. And I said, I want to create, I want it to be a clubhouse, like a place for young adults to go like Isaac. Because Isaac, when he, when he got sober, he had nobody to hang out with, nothing to do, because all his friends were getting high and drinking, going to bars and whatever. And he just couldn't be a part of it. Everything was a trigger for him. So I said, I want a place that has no alcohol, free of all substances, where young adults can go and hang out and just be with each other, support each other, learn, you know, a new skill, have like different activities there. At the time, I thought it would be great that they could learn how to become, because physical activity was very important and really helpful for Isaac, but they could learn to become a personal trainer or a fitness instructor or a spin, spin instructor and just like a fun, safe place, like a Y or a JCC where they can just go and hang out and be together and do fun things just without substances. So that's how Big Vision was founded. It was Big Vision. The name has Isaac's initials in their IGV. That's how we got the name. And uh, I called a meeting at my apartment and I had about 40 people show up and we, I just said, we're doing this. And that was... Uh, Seven, uh, seven and a half years ago. And so we just started by doing some sober activities. We went go-karting and I got about, uh, I think we had 35 or 40 young adults show up from different um, sober houses and therapeutic communities. We took a bus to New Jersey and we all went go-karting and, and played, you know, they played video games and we had lunch for them and they all hung out and they got to meet each other. And that is, basically how Big Vision was born, and um, that's my story, I guess. I mean, there's a lot more, but to talk about Big Vision. I always quote author and speaker Andrew Solomon when he says, we all have our darkness, and the trick is making something exalted of it. And you certainly have accomplished that trick. Yeah, I feel like when you have such a tragedy in your life, losing a child, as you know, Bill, is the worst thing that could happened to a parent and uh you know there are people who and i know people like this who just can't get out of bed they can't go to work they can't function they can't do anything and you never know what kind of person you're going to be you, you you just don't know until something like that happens to you i remember watching 
you know, parents on TV after they, like when they started Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And I remember seeing this mother on TV who had lost a child in a car accident and killed by a drunk driver. And I remember saying, how is that woman even standing there and speaking? Just lost her child. Like, I don't get it. And I remember even, you know, being a little bit judgmental, like, like, is she not grieving? Like how? And I, you realize that everybody deals with grief in a very different way. And, you know, some of us have to, like, do something. And I'm that person. I don't sit still for long. I, um, you know, kind of always on the move. And that's just something I felt like I needed to do. And I feel like I could have started something a lot simpler, like just done a, um, you know, um, scholarship program and done one once a year, done a fundraiser. But instead, I chose something very grassroots and really on the ground, helping these kids, you know, get through these really tough times. And it's gratifying. Well, you started something that uh, you wish Isaac had had. And for that matter, I wish William had had more of something like that. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, that, that's, that's what I felt was really missing, you know, that we... Treatment is important. Treatment is not necessary for everybody. You know, well, treatment, you know, in in per, in person, treatment is not, not in person. What, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, whatever. Treatment um, is not for everybody, but, but it is important. But to me, what happens after, after you give up the substances, that's when the work really begins. Because if you're in treatment, you're pretty much guaranteed you're not going to be using for the 30 or 60 days that you're in there. But when you come out, you have to figure out how to live your life again. You have to figure out who you're going to hang out with. You know, who are the people that you're your people, people that are going to support you and be there for you and not try and like drag you back into the life that you had before. Um, and that for Isaac was so challenging. He used to, you know, he was living with us and he used to put on like three layers of clothing and put his headphones on and he would do the stairs in the building to work up a sweat because that really helped him. And then he would play basketball. There was a league that used to play at like nine o'clock at night. And he joined this urban professional basketball league. And after basketball, what would all the guys do? They would go <laughs> out for a drink. Of course. You know, and it was like, right, of course, that's what they do. And that's, that was the end of Isaac's night. You know, he couldn't socialize with these guys because he was so early in his recovery, everything was a trigger for him. Yep. So, so even something like basketball was, was a challenge. Yeah. Too bad that he couldn't do it because the, you lose out on the whole social aspect and, and what Big Vision provides is other people to connect with, to talk with, to uh, in, just enjoy one another's company. Right. And it's, you know, to us, it's, that is really, it's the missing link in recovery that people aren't really addressing. I and mean, we're, we're kind of a, you know, doing something that is not being done. It's not, there's not money in it yet. I mean, treatment is a huge money um um, it's it's huge. I mean, there's so much money in that field today, opening a treatment center. And, you know, I'm not saying that some are not, I mean, there are great treatment centers and there's some that are not so great. There are good sober living and some of that are not so good. But at the end of the day, there's money to be made there. What we're doing, you know, we're providing all of our events for free. 
and there's no money in it, you know? So I think that's why a lot of people haven't jumped on the bandwagon yet. And even getting some of these treatment centers, because we want to be part of every aftercare plan. We want it to be that, okay, you're 30 days in treatment. Okay, you're going home. When Isaac left treatment, they said to him, you're going home. Okay, you got to find yourself a therapist. You got to find yourself an AA meeting. And that was pretty much it. And go to school or get a job. And the, uh, the other aspect is socialize. Find a way to, to find a community, not just socialize, but find a community. That, to me, is key, I mean, to everybody in life. You know, we all need community. We all need people to help us, you know, get through tough times. And especially young adults who are trying to live this, you know, substance-free life, it's not easy. So, you know, we're really about finding, you know, fun again in sobriety. And just, you know, it's about a recovery lifestyle. That's kind of, we kind of coined that phrase, recovery lifestyle, and like even our, on our website, we kind of, we break it all down. Like, what do you need to live this recovery lifestyle? And it's not that complicated. It's like what you need to live a healthy lifestyle. Um, and it's, it's pretty simple, but it's not talked about that much. It's not really addressed. And that's what we're all about. And, you know, it's, it's working. I mean, we see so many success stories. We see how this has saved people's lives. Like, you know, I don't like to say, you know, we used to say, like, it's all about bringing the fun back in recovery. But people think about that, oh, like, that doesn't seem that substantial. But it's not just about bringing the fun back. It's just learning to live your life again. And, you know, this world today, it's so difficult. Now, New York City, everywhere you go, you smell weed. Every corner. Every, I walked 30 blocks the other day. I feel like 30 times I, 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 I smelled it in, on my trip. Every corner, there was somebody else, and, you know, just getting high, you know, and it's like, it's become very normalized. And I think for Isaac, and I imagine for William, it would have been very tough to live in this city now where it just hits you everywhere you go. It's such a trigger. Absolutely. Um, that makes me crazy. That's a whole different topic. <laughs> we'll be back for more right after this break. This is the Kingfisher Project on Radio Catskill. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Hey, it's Cassie from Rare Pair Radio, playing you the fruit of all things sweet, Fridays, 8 p.m. to 9 p.m., mostly female artists from rock, funk, Punk, pop, and more. All rare. Only on WJFF Radio Catskill. Hi there, I'm Jason Dole, Radio Catskill Program Director, letting you know about special programs coming your way this month. We have live coverage of the 2023 New York State of the State Address with Governor Kathy Hochul, Tuesday afternoon at 1. Then we kick off our Martin Luther King Jr. Day specials with the 17th Annual Apollo Uptown Hall MLK Celebration with host Kai Wright, 6 p.m. Sunday, January 15th. We'll have more details coming soon. Check out WJFFRadio.org and keep listening to Radio Catskill. This is Bill Williams, host of the Kingfisher Project. My guest this evening is Eve Goldberg, founder of Big Vision. When I first, when well, we met in an, in an event, and then 
when we first got together, we were in in your very first Big Vision's first office, which was yeah. pretty small. And you've moved a couple of times since, and now, uh, most recently, tell us about your new space and, and your plans for it. The dream from day one, as I said, was to have this physical space. So the, the, actually, the last place that we had, we were able to do some small events there. But my dream was always to have a space that was big enough to host a lot of our events, um, outdoor space, and just a place where, like I said, people can come and hang out, you know, watch a movie, work on their computers if they want to, um, you know, and just have different, you know, yoga classes, meditation, et cetera. So we, we looked for a number of years, my husband and I. We had many brokers that were working with us. And there was so much. One of the other things that we at Big Vision are so conscious of is the shame and the stigma attached to this disease of addiction. Because I will tell you, I felt it firsthand when we went to try and find a space and the brokers would say, yeah, yeah, I think it'll be great for your usage. I think it'll be fine. And and once we got there and we would tell the story, like the, the owner or whoever it was that was there, and they would say, oh, I'm you know, so sorry to hear about your son. I'm so sorry. That's so sad. And then they would say, you know what? I don't really think this is the right space for you. Or, you know, I don't think it's right for your use. And I, I would say, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, you know, I just, yeah, I don't think so. We, we're thinking we're going to rent it to a gallery instead or something. And I remember thinking to myself, you want to have a gallery in here. They're going to have, you know, oh, they said they didn't want to disturb the people upstairs in the buildings. I think that was always the problem because there was commercial space and upstairs was residential. And they were thinking that we're going to have these crazy parties and we're going to have all these people filling out on the street, these quote unquote addicts. Like this is what they were picturing in their minds. And I'm thinking, if you have a gallery here, they're going to have opening. There's going to be drinking and smoking and there's going to be loud parties. We don't do that. Like, we're having sober parties. People are having fun, but we're not, like, getting crazy. There's no going to be breaking glasses and people falling over each other. It's completely the opposite of what they were imagining. So we were rejected, you know, subtly by many places. And honestly, I probably could afford it. But I said, why would I want to be in a place where they're going to be watching over us, where they're going to be judging us and, and, and scared to have our people there? Because a lot of the people that we have come from, you know, underserved communities, people who don't have the opportunity to have these amazing free events like go-karting and, and uh, you know, um, trapeze school and mini golf and, and ice skating and all these other activities that we have. Anyway, so we stopped looking at spaces. And then last year, my husband got a call from a broker and she said, there is a space, it's for sale. And it's a great neighborhood, and it's zoned for community use. It's perfect for you. They can't reject you. So my husband, I said, no, I'm not even looking at it. And I said, we're not in a position to buy it. And it's just we, we kind of put that on the back burner. He said, let's just go look at it. So I credit my husband, Neil, for this because we went and looked at it, and the two of us looked at each other and said, okay, we got to figure out a way to do this. This is perfect. So it's got its own entrance. It's a a residential building, it's got its own entrance. Bill, you saw it. You go down a flight of stairs. It's about 3,000 square feet indoors, about 1,000 square feet outdoors. we got to build out the whole space because it's, it's just a ramble of offices now, and we have to knock down all the walls, and we have to do construction. 
but it's going to be amazing. We're going to have a room for parties and it's going to flow to the outside. We have a pool table. We're going to put there probably some other games, a basketball hoop outside. Um, we'll do meditation, yoga. We're going to have a gym. We're going to have some office space and just a lot of really open, like, hangout space. We'll do mocktails and, you know, we can, we can, have, we're going to have a kitchen. We could do a little cooking demonstration. It's, it's amazing. And I'm beyond excited about it that this is actually like the dream is actually coming to be. So that's not going to be done. You know, we have to raise money. Um, and then we have to build it out. I'm, I'm hoping by October of next year of 2023, we'll be ready to move in. So right now we're in there. Um, it's not much to look at, but it's going to be amazing and exciting. And we're going to be able to host a lot of great events there for the sober community, the recovery community in New York City. Um, you've got a website. Give us the web address quickly, please. So it's bigvision.nyc, bigvision.nyc. And we have an Instagram page also. But if you go to the website, you can find all the information on there. And people can come to the activities from, from anywhere, even from the Catskills. It's also, it's, yeah, bigvision.nyc. That is the website. So check it out. If anybody is in the in a position to donate, we're always happy for that. So we can really build out this incredible space and keep doing what we're doing and just find out if you know people who need what we're doing. And, you know, we also, the other thing we started was a um, grief support group that Bill and I are both a part of so that you can, if somebody needs that for people who've lost children, I think it's been really helpful also. No, it occurs to me the grief support group, somebody could join that from just about anywhere if they needed to. A hundred percent. Yes, we we can now, we're doing it virtually. Yep, we can do it virtually or in person. So anybody who's lost a child to this horrific disease is, um, you know, we're we're a good, good small group that we just started. It's probably going to grow. I'm sure it's going to grow. But, you know, we have people who, like Bill and I, it's been nine, ten years and and then there's people who lost children a year ago, and I think we're really there to support each other, and it's it's, it's really, really important. BigVision.NYC, check it out. Yeah. Um, I've done a couple of things. I've, I've done some theater workshops with you, improv workshops, and, I've oh, yeah. done, and, and, and ice skating. And I see you've got some ice skating coming up again shortly in January. We do. It'd be great if you can come. And by the way, the workshop that Bill, that you did was amazing. I remember after doing one of your workshops, you went around the room and people spoke. And this one guy said, he said, it's the first time I think that I've laughed like this when I'm not high. And it was just, it was like amazing. It was amazing. We did a couple of them and we're going to do one again, Bill, whenever you're, Whenever you have the time, you let us know. We want to do that workshop. I'm, I'm, wor I'm working up to it. I was just talking with Astrid at the office about it the other day. Um, we're, we're running Excellent. out of time. Any 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 last thoughts? Anything you'd like to add? Um, no. I mean, I think I think I've said everything I want to say. I think um, I really appreciate this opportunity, and I think this this show that you're doing is really really important and. You know, I thank you for, for allowing Big Vision to be a part of it and spread the word. And you know what? We'd like to have Big Visions uh, all over the, the state and the country. So if you're interested in, 
in starting one upstate or wherever you live, you know, reach out to us and you can, it's very simple. You just start doing these events and find some fund. We're going to find some funding and, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty simple concept. It's not, I did not, I am not a rocket scientist. It's a very simple concept. You know, it's just, you know, creating a community for young adults in recovery for young people who are struggling and just finding a safe, a safe place to hang out and, and have fun and, and find their passions in life. And that's it. Pretty simple, but it well, really is saving lives. You may not be a rocket scientist, but you are indeed saving lives, <laughs> and we're delighted to have you. You've been listening to me talk with my guest, Eve Goldberg, founder of Big Vision. This is Bill Williams, host of the Kingfisher Project. Thank you so much for joining us, Eve, and Happy Thanks, New Year. Bill. Thanks. Happy New Year. Happy Holidays. Okay, thank you, Bill, for that interview. Kingfisher Project comes to us the first Tuesday of every month here on the Local Edition. Thank you so much to Bill Williams for making this happen, and thank you for listening. I'm Jason Dole. I'll be back tomorrow evening for more Local Edition. We'll do our regular check-ins with River Reporter Newspaper for the local news roundup and also uh, the latest on jobs and the economy with James B. Huntington on Work Shift Live. It's tomorrow evening starting at 6.30. Up next, we got Mr. Kusar Grace of the Music Emporium. This is Radio Catskill. Support for Radio Catskill comes from Jeffersonville Bake Shop, offering breakfast and lunch to go or to stay and coffee, Wi-Fi, and space for getting work done remotely. JeffersonvilleBakeShop.com From The Schwangunk Journal, serving the towns of Warwasing, Crawford, Mamakating, Rochester, Schwangunk, and everything in between. SchwangunkJournal.com And from listeners like you. What's up, Radio Catskill? Greg McVicker here, putting you on the guest list to join us for a laid-back music party that we call Undercurrents. It's a mix of exciting new tunes with some old favorites and lots of other songs that you forgot that you knew. We go across all genres and don't worry about it. It just all flows together. I'll bring the music. You bring your ears and we'll do this. Undercurrents. Monday through Thursday at noon. 